Masechet Nazir Daf Chaf, we will uh, complete the third pedic and even begin the fourth pedic. So we left off on the story of uh, Queen Helena of Adiabene, who um, uh, became a Nazir, Nazira, because she was so thankful that her son came home. And then there's a question of how long was she a Nazira? She vowed that she would be a Nazir for seven years if her son came home, and he did come home. Uh, the problem is that she completed the seven years outside the land of Israel and then came to Israel to fulfill her offerings, but then found out she has to do another seven years, according to Bet Hillel, um, because you have to do it in Israel. She became Tameh at the end, and, and, uh, and, and had to do 21 years, according to Tanakhama. However, Rabbi Yehuda says, no, no, only 14 years. Uh, the thing is, Rabbi Yehuda does not uh, tell us what those 14 years are for. Okay, for sure, the first seven she did outside the land of Israel, uh, and that was the basic amount. But the extra seven, uh, we're not sure. Did he, is, are they following Bet Hillel? And did another seven because now they came to Israel and he's disputing the fact that she became Teme'ah. He's saying, no, she never became Teme'ah. She did seven outside, seven inside the land of Israel, never became Teme'ah. Or is she following Bet Shammai? Bet Shammai says that when, she, when you come to Israel, you only have to do one month. In which case, she did the seven years and then she came to Israel, did one month became Teme'ah at the end of that one one month, and that's why she had to do a whole nother seven years. See, that one month is a continuation of the seven years when she became Teme'ah, even though it's at the end, uh, she has she had to do another seven years to make up for the, uh, for the original. Uh, so which one is it? Uh, so that's our question. Is it a, does Rabbi Uda think that um, that Helene Hamalka followed Bet Shammai, and the reason why she kept fourteen years is because she became Teme'ah. She did seven, then she did thirty because Bet Shammai said you have to redo not the whole thing, just part of it now in Israel. But she she became Teme'ah before she completed that thirty, so she that that broke all the seven years. And she has to do it again. Uh, or maybe she agrees that um, uh, Queen Helena was following Betilel. She just disputes the facts of the story that she never became Teme'ah. She did seven years outside the land of Israel, but that doesn't count because you can't be a Nazir outside the land of Israel because the whole land is Teme'ah, is Tameh. So she came to um, to Israel and did the final and did the redo of the seven, but she was never Tameh, not outside, not inside the land of Israel. That's the question. There's two ways to interpret a biuda. And the answer is Tashema. Alta la'aris vehoruha bet hilel, shetenizira od sheba shanim acherot. Let's prove it from the Mishnah itself that says she came to Israel and bet hilel said to. Um, <clears throat> She should be a Nazira of another seven years. Now, certainly the Mishnah, as it, as it is, is Tanakama and says that she went to Bet Hillel. So the Buddha could be disputing that part of it. Question is, can we tell from, from here what, uh, um, uh, whether you, you can change, should change Bet Hillel to Bet Shammai? 
for the Biyuda? Can we tell from the number of years? So yes, we can. So if you think that she um, she became Teme'a and the Biuda assumes that Helene followed Bet Shamai, not Bet Hilel, right? So we have to change in the story Bet Hilel to Bet Shamai. Um, if so, the rest of the details also don't fit because the Biuda says 14 years, but if he, she, if, if he was following, if she was following Bet Shamai, it would have to be 14 years plus 30 days. Why? She did seven years outside the land of Israel. Then she came to Israel, Bet Shamai said, oh, you got to do one month replacement uh, in Israel. She did the one month, almost. She became uh, Teme'ah. Uh, near the end of that one month, and then she had to do seven more years. Okay, that all together, that's seven plus seven, 14 years plus the other month. But even Rabbi Yehuda himself, in his own words, didn't say seven, 14 years and a month. He just said 14 years. Therefore, we can prove from the very language of the Mishnah of the 14 years that Rabbi Yehuda is agreeing and assuming that she followed Betilel, he's simply disagreeing that she about the part that she became Temea again. That I don't know, someone exaggerated that part of the story along the way, according to the Biuda. And it was seven and seven, exactly fourteen. And so the Talmud Bavli comes to a definite conclusion. Um, uh, interestingly, on this very point, the uh, Talmud Yerushalmi um, leaves it open-ended and says, uh, you could say the Biuda follows uh, Bet Shammai, or you could say it follows Bet Hillel. And if it asks uh, the same question, if you say he followed Bet Shammai, shouldn't you say 30 days and 14 years? And it answers, The Mishnah is not going to bother to mention uh, a, a number of extra months when it's reported years. When you're talking about years, right, how many years? The fact that it's uh, a month more than 14 years, we're rounding it off. You don't have to say, right, when you're talking about a long time span, you don't have to say the uh, the, the, uh, the the change, the small amount that comes along with it. So the Yerushalmi actually says that it could be he follows Bet Shammai, uh, but the um, the, uh, the the but the Bavli would want the Mishnah to be more precise and say a month also. All right, good. Now Tanya Namehachi, we also have a Baraita that supports the this conclusion that that um, Rabbi Uda followed um, uh, Rabbi Uda assumed that Queen Helena followed Betilel. Maybe this is the reason that the Bavli assumes that and doesn't agree with the Talmud Yerushalmi because it does have another Braita here that will support the conclusion. Uh, here's the Braita. Rabbi Uda Omer Mishum Rabbi Eliezer Damar Kera Zot Torah Tanazir HaTorah Amera Ki Nitma Beyom Melot Ten Lo Torah Nazir we need to see the full context of this pasuk to appreciate um, the derasha. The pasuk says, "Vezot Torah Hanazir." So, Torah Hanazir is a keyword that means a typical nazir period of thirty days. Beyom melot yemenizra. So, if we go back here, "Zot Torah Hanazir." Beyom melot. So, we take "Beyom melot" to mean if one becomes tameh on the day ki nitma beyom melot, one became tameh lamet. On the very last day of the count, 
then you don't have to redo the entire amount if it's more than 30 days, but rather, you only have to do a minimal amount of regular nezirut, which is 30 days. That is Rabbi Eliezer's opinion. We saw that back on Daf Tetzayin. Uh, where to be Eliezer um, disagreed with others. And so this, according to Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Uda says in the name of Rabbi Eliezer that one who becomes Tameh on their last day, um, if in this case, let's say um, it was so seven years plus 30 days for Bet Shammai, right? She vowed seven years, Bet Shammai adds 30 days. So we'll all be consider that all one long nizirut period and then she became tema'ah on that the last day of that period well according to the bieli azed she would not have to redo an entire seven years she would only have to redo 30 days right just like anyone if i said 100 days and it became tama'ah on the last day on the 100th day i only have to redo 30 days according to rabbi eli azed and therefore according to this uh, once again if the biuda was uh, assumed that Helena is following Bet Shammai, then she would only have to be a Nazir all told for seven years and 60 days, um, right? So only 30 days make up for uh, be for becoming Teme'ah. And the Mishnah does not say that. The Mishnah says 14 years. And so this for sure is way off. It's not a month off. This is seven years off minus 30 days. Um, and so this for sure uh, proves that the Mishnah can, um, uh, that Rabbi Yehuda cannot be uh, following, cannot be assuming that Helena is following um, Bet Shammai. Okay, notice that the, the Tanya Namahachi here doesn't work as it usually does. It doesn't say the same exact thing as it does before because the argument before was that it would be, according to Bet Shammai, 14 years and 30 days, but this is 14 years, so it can't be Bet Hillel. And according to this, if you if they followed Bet Shammai, it would be for seven years and 60 days. So it actually comes to different conclusions, but the main point is that they're the same in that neither of these conclusions would work for the language of the Mishnah that said 14 years straight. And therefore, in the Mishnah, we should assume the Biuda was following Bet Hillel in his calculation of 14 years, and Queen Helena went and asked Bet Hillel. All right, very good. Now we get to the last Mishnah of this Perek. Okay, so they have this guy, he denies that he is a Nazir, right? He says, I never, I never made a Nazirut. I don't know, maybe he forgot or whatever. But we have two sets of witnesses uh, that say they heard him take upon himself a vow of Nezirut. Now, what the first set of witnesses says that we heard him say two periods of Nezirut, right? 30 days and 30 days. However, the other pair of witnesses said we heard him say, I take upon myself five terms of Nezirut. All right, so now you have contradictory evidence. Usually when you have contradictory evidence, um, you throw them both out because they're, they're in conflict. The question here is that, yeah, although they're different from each other, they do have a common denominator. Both of them agree he, he, he took upon himself at least two terms of, of a Nizirut obligation. So how do we treat this type of contradictory testimony? Bet Shammai Omerim Bet Shammai says, we throw it out altogether because it's not the same. 
uh, then uh, one is not true. And so we don't know which one is not true. So you have to throw them all, all out. It would be kind of like, you know, if one, uh, one, one, one group of witnesses says, uh, says uh, this guy committed a murder on this day in Chicago. Another set of witnesses says he committed a murder on the very same day at the very same time in New York. Well, one of them is lying because he couldn't be in both places. So we don't convict him of murder because, well, they both agree that he murdered someone. He says, no, it, once two witnesses, two sets of witnesses contradict, then we know there's something wrong with them, and therefore we have to throw out the entire thing. Okay, let's call this the lenient opinion, lenient on the defendant, right? Defendant is in the clear, not a nazir at all. But Bet Hillel says, wait, within five is two, right? Two is a common denominator. Uh, they both agree that he is a Nazir at least two times. So yes, he has to be a Nazir two times. Uh, you know, maybe more like a monetary case. Uh, one says you owe 500, one says you owe 200. Well, um, both agree that you owe 200, so at least pay that. And that's the opinion of Betilel. We'll call this the Mahmir opinion, that we're, we're Mahmir to assume that even though the defendant denied that he, is a, uh, that he is a Nazir at all, well, we have testimony, and all the testimony, both sets of witnesses agree that you are at least twice, so we are stringent upon you, even though there is, in fact, a difference between the two sets of witnesses. All right, that is the Mishnah. Going to get a little bit more complicated, and the Gemara is going to make a, some finer distinctions in these cases. Matnitin de Loki Haitana, our Mishnah, would not agree with the following Baraita, the Tanya. Rabbi Ishmael ben Osher, Rabbi Yochanan ben Berocha Omer. Lo nechluku bet Shamayu bet Hilel al shete chite adim, echad omeret shetaim, vechad omeret chamesh, sheyesh bichlal chamesh shetaim. According to him, bet Hilel and bet Shamay did not disagree in this case of two sets of witnesses. In fact, they both agree that one would be stringent in such a case because two is included in five. And so if it's two sets of witnesses, even Bet Shammai would agree that he has to serve at least two terms. So you see from right from this that this is not the same as a Mishnah. However, um, uh, this Baraita agrees that there is a Machloket, it's just that it's in a different case. Well, they disagree regarding one pair of witnesses, meaning two people, where one of the pair, one witness only, says, I heard him say two vows. And the other one says, I heard him say, I want to be a Nazir five times. In that case, where it's one against one, so then it's a problem because do they even match up, you know, to, to come together even as a pair of witnesses? You, you know, we know that every time uh, you always need two witnesses. I mean, in most cases you need two witnesses. And we before we accept with testimony of two witnesses, you separate them and we ask them a lot of questions. You know, what, who, where? We have to make sure that the testimony matches. If it missed, it doesn't match in any significant uh, area, then we throw it out. So we understand that Bet Shammai would say, sorry, this is a mismatch, right? If I have two witnesses that say two, and two witnesses that they say, that say five, since both sets of witnesses are verified, legitimate, so then I'll say, yeah, okay, uh, they agree at least on two, so you have to do two. 
But if I have one witness saying two and one witness saying five and their testimonies don't line up, then their entire testimony is not verified. It is illegitimate. We just throw it out. And therefore, in that case, that's when Bet Shammai would say we, could be le- we should be lenient and let him off the hook. Whereas Bet Hillel, this is where he is stringent, uh, more stringent than Bet Shammai, and says, wait a second, even one against one, uh, even one and one that are trying to come as a pair, yeah, we can put them together as a pair, um, because even though their testimony uh, differs regarding three of them, but they agree on the first two, so let's accept their testimony. Uh, it's like we can accept part of their testimony of the two, and we'll ignore the other three, and they do come together, and it is testimony, so we are stringent, and he has to accept two periods of nezirut. Good. Okay, that is um, a, a braita. Our Mishnah is not like this braita, oh, so we can uh, move past it. And now we're going to get to another qualification, this time by Rav. Amar Rav, the first generation Amora in Babel, says, Hakol modim be Everybody, Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel, agree in a case of counting, where they don't just simply say five and the other one says two, but we're going to clarify what this means, counting. If they are counting, then everyone agrees that the testimony contradicts each other, so everybody would agree with Bet Shammai uh, that we are lenient and we throw out the testimony. Okay, now we have to clarify. What does this counting mean? What is Rav saying? If by counting you mean that one way, one set of witnesses, we're back to the sets of witnesses, because this is directly on the Mishnah. The Mishnah is talking about sets of witnesses. If one set of witnesses said, I heard him say five and not two, and the other set of witnesses, I heard him say two Nizirut and not five. And so there, by, by Moneh, he means he's counting uh, uh, and saying both numbers, right? Five and not two, two and not five. In that case, they're clearly contradicting each other. I mean, there's no common denominator because they, they're saying, we heard a certain word that he said. I heard him definitely say, say right, Shetayim, whatever language he was speaking, it doesn't matter. But Shetayim doesn't sound like Chamesh. I would have, I heard if he said Chamesh, I heard him say Shetayim. So they are directly saying, you are wrong. And the other one says, you are wrong. Well, in that case, clearly everybody would agree that they contradict each other and we throw it out. So Rav would not have to say such a statement. This would be so obvious, right? It wouldn't be, no one would even think that, um, that uh, you would make, them, make him liable in that case. So that's not what counting means. Ela. Rather, counting means counting up. The first witness come and say, comes and says, I heard him take upon him the number of Nezirut's one, two. Right? He's counting. He took not only one, but two terms of Nezirut. And then the other, that's one pair of witnesses says that. The other pair of witnesses follows up and says, oh, no, he took, uh, uh, you know how many, you know how many uh, sets, of, sets of Nezirut terms he took upon himself? Three, four, and five. They're kind of continuing the count. So the first says, he said one, two. The other one says three, four, five. And in that case, um, in, in that case, the, the, uh, the, since it's counting up, so now what would be the verdict in that case? According to what we just read, Rav says, everyone agrees. Um, right now we're assuming that that means everyone agrees that they contradict each other. So let's try to understand why would that be called contradictory? Well, it'd be called contradictory because 
they're being very precise. Um, one set of windows says one, two, right? Maybe they heard him say one, two. But by saying that, we only heard him say one, two. The other one said, we heard him say three, four, five. By saying it that way, um, it's almost like they're contradicting each other um, more severely than if one just says two or one says five. If they're just saying a number, then yeah, two is included in five. But if they're recounting more precisely their, the, the verbiage, the formula, and so one, two is very different from three, four, five. Right? Three, four, five sounds precisely five and not two. And one, two sounds like precisely two and not five. So because they're remembering more of the details, it's similar to saying two and not five, five and not two. And that's why Rav would say, if they, if they just say one number, one says five, one says two, then they're remembering the overall number that it's many, and maybe one misheard, uh, uh, mis, mi, misremembered, misheard, and they thought he may sound five, but he remembered there was multiple, so then they can agree. But if they're remembering a formula, one, two, three, another one, three, four, five, then they're definitely contradicting each other. All right, that's how we understand it. So far, that he is in interpreting it for leniency, that if they're counting, then you throw it out. But now, the Gemara is going to say, Ha, Lamali, this doesn't make sense. Hashta yesh lomad hamirta amarav, kilta lo amad. Really, think about this logically. You should say that Rav would be stringent in this uh, in this case. And now you're saying that he's actually lenient, right? Why would you even tell me this if you um, if you want to be uh, if you want to be lenient, right? It doesn't make sense to be lenient here. If anything, it should be stringent, right? So halamali is not that we don't need it at all. Um, that's the way the phrase usually is used. I think here it's being used as here. Why would you tell me it? If it was for leniency, if anything, it should be for stringency. Because in fact, in the West, they quote Rav saying, that if you're counting up, then they do not contradict each other. Everyone would agree that it's at least two. In other words, the idea is as follows. If, you, if one says five and one says two, that's where there's a machloket. But if you're counting, the first set, the first set when it says one, two, and the other continues and says three, four, five, since they're counting, so two is included within the count up to five, right? So one says one, two, the other set of, um, of witnesses are agreeing with the one, two, because they're just saying plus three, four, five. Right, so if I say plus three, four, five, I'm agreeing to your two. So because they're explicitly agreeing, the one that said five is explicitly agreeing with the two. I I, I see your two, and I up the ante another three. They're agreeing to the two. So that's they in that in that sense, both are agreeing. The two has both witnesses, both sets of witnesses are in agreement. So the two is for sure lock it in, and that person is liable. The three, four, five, only one set of witnesses said it, the other contradicted, so throw that out. And so that's the conclusion that, well, you thought at the beginning that the Rav was saying hakol modim, hakol modim is, is ambiguous. It could be everyone agrees for leniency or everybody agrees for stringency. So at first we thought that meant that Rav was saying for leniency, um, but if it's five, again, five, two, two, five, five and not two, two and not five, that's too obvious a case. We're trying to find a case, so it means counting. But counting, you wouldn't be lenient. What you're saying, you're saying lenient. If anything, it should be machmir. And in fact, in Yerushalmi, Rav is machmir in that very case. So that's how we have to understand it. Okay, um, I think this is the best proper way to understand the Tamud Bavli.
Um, however, if you look at most of the commentaries here, they're confused about, about it because they says that Rav had said something stringent. Um, and it looks like, well, Rav never said anything before this. This is the only thing he said. And so they take out the word Rav. Um, and if you take out the word Rav, so then you could read it differently than I explained it. Um, but I don't think you can take out the word Rav because if we look in the manuscripts, you see Rav is in all the manuscripts. There is no manuscript that does not have the word Rav in it. Um, so um, therefore, um, we uh, should read it as Rav being there. And uh, when the Bavli is quoting Ba'ma'arava, the Ba'ma'arava means in Eretz Yisrael, if we look in the Tamud Yerushalmi, uh, corroborates this fact exactly. Rav says, Bekolel nechleku, ava beporet. Poret means if they're counting, then everybody agrees that yesh shetayim, that we're machmir, and everybody agrees. So you see clearly that Rav in Yerushalmi says we are machmir. Um, and so uh, back to the Bavli. Um, uh, I think this is the best uh, the best way to interpret it in light of the manuscripts and in light of the Tamudi Rushami. Rav said a statement. Uh, we thought he was saying le- being lenient, and then we said no, no, it can't be. Logically, it has to be that he means stringent. If they're counting, then five includes two, and so he has to have two. And then, in fact, in the West, that is ha- in fact is in fact what I've said. And in our Yerushalmi, we also we have the same thing that corroborates it. All right, Hadran Alach Mi She'amar Chazakim Uberuchim, and now we are ready to begin the fourth pedic with a new Mishnah. Mi She'amar Hareni Nazir Veshamachavero Ve'amar Va'ani Va'ani Kulam Nazirim. One person says, "I I t- I am a Nazir." The first, that's A, let's call it Mr. A. Mr. B, his friend, hears that and immediately says, me too. And then a third person, Mr. C, says, va'ani, me too. So they're all nazirim. In other words, uh, not only can you copy and paste once, you can copy and paste the copy and paste and uh, do it twice. Now, if the first, Mr. A, goes to the sage and dissolves his nizirut, just like a regular vow, you can dissolve a nizirut, then Mr. B and Mr. C also are dissolved. Since their nizirut points to Mr. A's, is dependent upon it, right? They're just building, they're copying him. Uh, therefore, if A is gone, then B and C are also gone. Whereas, Whereas if Mr. C goes to the Hacham and say, I changed my mind, can you undo it? And he undoes it. Well, then only Mr. C's is dissolved and A and B remains prohibited because C is dependent on A and B, but A and B are not dependent on C. He came last. Next case. Amar hareni nazir v'shamach chavero v'amar pi kefiv usari kisaro hareze nazir. Another formulation. Mr. A says I'm a nazir, and Mr. B says instead of saying va'ani, he says my mouth is like his mouth, my hair is like his hair. My mouth meaning what he said. I want to say too, and his hair is going to grow long. My hair will also grow long. Uh, that works, and he is a nazir. That is a copy paste formula. Next case, Ahareni Nazir Veshama Ishto Vamera Vaani Mefedechela Veshelokayam. A husband says, I'll be a Nazir. His wife is standing nearby and she says, Me too. 
the husband can, just like a husband can annul general vows of his wife that are uh, vows of affliction or vows that affect him, uh, so he can, he can nullify a nizirut, that's a, it is a vow of affliction. And uh, so even though she is copying him, she, the husband can say, no, I disagree with your me too, and he will remain a nazir, and she is not a nazir. On the other hand, switch it around. The woman, the wife first says, Hareni nazira, v'shama ba'ala v'amar va'ani, en o'yachol hafer. She says, I'm a nazir. And then the husband says, me too. In that case, the husband can no longer nullify, because by saying, me too, that is a way of ratifying. It means, I heard what you said. Oh, that's a good idea. I want to do it too. The fact that he said, I want to do it too, suggests that he's agreeing. Yes, that is a good idea. And once a husband ratifies a vow of his wife, he can no longer annul it. A similar case. A man says, I'm a Nazir, and what about you? He's pointing to his wife and says, what about you? And she says, Amen to that. Yes, I want to be a Nazir also. So she, would, she will be a Nazir. Nevertheless, he can undo it. Um, and he will remain. So similar to the Hadani Nazir case, because he came first. So he's a Nazir, and hers is dependent upon his. Okay, even though he asked her, it doesn't matter, it doesn't mean that he wanted her to be, he could say, no, I don't want you to be. Whereas the other way around, if she initiated and she says, I want to be a Nazir, what about you, husband? And he says, amen to that. Well, by saying amen, not only is he saying that I'm, uh, I'm going to be a Nazir too, but he's also saying, yeah, good idea. I'm glad that you became a Nazir. That's a way of ratifying her Nazirut, and therefore he can no longer nullify her Nazirut. All right, that's the end of the Mishnah, and we'll begin to analyze the Gemara uh, tomorrow. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve'amen.